This episode is brought to you by Daniel House Club. Daniel House Club simplifies the process of sourcing and purchasing by giving designers access to over 150 trade vendors in a single place. They've saved designers over $2.5 million in purchase costs in the past year. You'll get paid whether you send a cart to your client or you purchase directly. And they'll help handle the order logistics. Hotties can join Daniel House Club and save 50% off their first year of membership by going to danielhouse.club HYDC today. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? We have a special guest today. Let's welcome Max Humphrey. Hi, Max. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you for so joining much us. For doing this. We I don't think we've ever met before. We spotted we've spotted you a couple times at High Point. There are the Birkenstocks and the hat. <laughs> You're <laughs> super recognizable in the crowd. <laughs> On brand. Yep. Always. always. <laughs> At least it's at least it makes it easy for you too, because I don't know about you, but I feel like that's it's like part of a uniform for you of just I don't know in LA everybody's like trying to be someone or sell a script somewhere, which right. it doesn't feel like that is that's definitely not the Max Humphrey lifestyle. No, it, it's also it's my goal to get sponsored by Birkenstock. Oh, okay. so, yeah, um, you should be. So shout out to shout out to Birkenstock. Yeah, shout spe- out to Germany. Special collection. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Your next collection. So Max, tell us, tell our listeners about you, what you're about and where you're at. All right. I'm an interior designer and author. I live in Portland, Oregon. I grew up in New England. I went to film school in Boston and then I moved to LA and worked in the TV film industry on the production side, like the getting coffee side, not the art department side, which you would maybe think since I became an interior designer, but I worked in, anyway, I worked in TV production and then I was playing music with some friends and we got a record deal and we all quit our jobs. And then I spent my early 20s touring in a, in a punk band all over the US and England. That was a couple of years. And then when we sort of called it quits and went back to LA, that's when I did some soul and career searching and rented an apartment you know, sort of Larchmont village area of L- of LA. Interior design was never, wasn't even a term I knew or a word. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. But I was decorating my apartment while I was looking for jobs and people would come over and be like, oh, this is cool. And that's kind of when it clicked that I was like, oh, is there like a, is there a job version of making your apartment look cute? And that's when I, that's when I kind of dove in and, and figured out what the career of interior design was. How long ago was that? I moved to, let's see, I moved to Portland seven years ago and I was in the design industry in LA for about seven years. So industry, I've been in the biz for maybe 13 or 14 years. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that rest is history. So I worked in LA uh, for a design firm for a number of years. Then I moved to Portland seven years ago and started my own firm. And how, so you have a very distinctive style. We've kind of joked about your quote unquote brand, but it is a brand it's a very like visual, like visually consistent. 
how would you describe it? And have you always had that? I describe it, the, the term I use is modern Americana, which is the term I always sort of, that stuff was always really hard for me. Like when I would start, when I was doing like press early on and they would be like, oh, what's your style? And I'd be yeah. like, I don't know, you know, and somehow <laughs> I launched or some somehow, I don't know, if I honestly can't remember if I came up with it or if someone else did, but I like landed on this term, modern Americana, and it, it really clicked for me. My I, It's what I named my first book. I would describe it as I have a very nostalgia-based sensibility. And what I've learned is when I look at, you know, I'm from small town New England. And when I look back at, I, I wasn't the kid that, that wanted, that would decorate their room or go with their parents to pick out paint swatches. Like I didn't care about that stuff growing up. I cared about GI Joes and video games. But <laughs> now when I look back at pictures of my house growing up, you could see a through line from that sort of vintage preppy adjacent New England style that I was surrounded by growing up to what I'm into now. So it's sort of this like full circle thing where I realized that these patterns and textures and, and pieces are all the things that I, that are like in my blood from, from where I grew up. Do you feel like it's one of those, Oh my God, I've become my parents moments. (laughs) Yeah, completely. Because I hate, like my parents, I wrote about this in my first book, but my parents would take me, they were, we didn't have like antiques, but we had vintage stuff. And my parents would go to vintage malls, you know, in New England, Vermont and take, drag me. And I would be so bummed. It's so boring. Oh no. Sit in the car, like the hot car, listening to the radio. And maybe I, the only one I remember there was one in, in Vermont that had a, it had one pinball machine in the lobby and I would go play pinball. But where was I going with this? But because yeah, but anyway, yes, I've, now it's my favorite thing to do is go to vintage malls and listen to the music I was stuck listening to on the car radio from when I was a kid. So I like integrated it. Yeah, it's just all full circle. Like all this, oh my God, I'm listening to, I'm stuck in the car listening to Ricky, don't lose that number, <laughs> Steely Dan. And I'm seven years old and my parents are at a vintage mall. And now like, all I want to do is drive around and listen to Steely Dan and go to vintage stores. Aww. So, but it, it took, it took becoming punk, I think in between these, yeah. <laughs> you know, it took punk rock to kind of like bring me back to, to, you know, like that dad rock style. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the quote is design is autobiography. I think interior mm-hmm. design is autobiography. And it's been sort of this like therapy for me as a, as an adult now where I can kind of use these design projects to reconnect with my, Mm. my, you know, upbringing and and parents and stuff like that, that, yeah. So design is, design is autobiography, design is therapy. You're like feeding your inner child. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think maybe you're right in a lot of this is, you know, especially because my style is kind of nostalgic and, and childlike at times, there's something about going back in time with the way I'm designing now, you know, back to simpler times. Yeah, for before sure. podcasts, before <laughs> before everything TikTok. was online, and yeah, and right. also, would you just die to be back at those vintage malls in the 1980s? I mean, it was probably oh just so yeah. full of amazing stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. They've been picked clean by now, but yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, I'll go back and look at pictures, and I'll ask my mom, "Oh, is this quilt still around?" And she'll be like, "That piece of junk has been gone for you know 40 years." But yeah, I want all that stuff. 
yeah, it's not letting your parents give give away everything until you've had a chance to pick through it. Suddenly feels important, right. but you couldn't have convinced a teenage version of me that I could care about any of the stuff in my parents' or, house. Like, or parent me, I can't begin to predict what my Gen A kid is going to like in 10 years. Like Their style is so different. She's probably going to like it. All of but it. But what? All of it. I'm not keeping all of it. <laughs> Especially if it's, like you said, it's to me cheap right now, but she might think it's cool. I don't know. Exactly. Can you share a little bit more about what Max Humphrey, the company, looks like right now as far as like your team and the scale of what you guys are doing? Yeah, it's myself. I have a full one full-time employee, Isabel. Shout, shout out to Isabel. <laughs> it took me a really long time to hire somebody. I was really resistant. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do everything myself. Delegating has always been really difficult for me. It took the right person to come along. So it's been over a year now, I think, that I've had an employee. And I have a bookkeeper, remote bookkeeper. That's sort of a new thing, too. It's another thing that I sort of always prided myself on. I, I could do everything. But I got finally felt... I've always tried not to grow. It's always been kind of a New Year's resolution is do not grow. <laughs> okay. um, sort of like figuratively and and <laughs> physically. you know and physically and emotionally but i just wanted to keep things small and i've always wanted to have a hand in everything but having help now is i can't imagine life without that and having a bookkeeper to keep an eye on things i mean i was just living on post-it notes for years and years and years and i don't know i've seen also i have colleagues and friends that have grown too fast and have hired a team of people and had to let people go and that's all that's really scary but also you know it's a gig lifestyle now it's i outsource quite a few things i get help with architectural drawings from a range of freelancers and graphic designers and i sometimes have a publicist so but sort of day to day it's myself and and one full-time person so before you had isabel and your bookkeeper were you outsourcing to that gig economy or was that all is that all kind of new no i i would always i don't do technical drawings. So I would always have somebody that would do my AutoCAD for me. Something I've just, I can kind of recognize things that I'd be good at and not good at. And that's Mm -hmm. not something I'd be good at. So so I've always had a person or two kind of on hand that I can have help doing renderings or or drawings and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with my CAD (laughs) at this point because I've been doing it mostly myself, but it's just taking me out of doing all the other parts of the business that I want to enjoy more. And the reality is, is like anybody else, almost anyone else with some experience can do CAD and I don't need to anymore, but it is hard to let go of some of that stuff because I feel like I've had so much control over it for so long. Yeah, it's good to let go. I would obsess over it and I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be, I get really bogged down and, oh, I want to put a plant on the countertop, but then I'd be like, what are my plant options? Oh and yeah. I want to put a soap dispenser, but I, you know, like I want to book, do the right soap. Yeah, like the CAD book it, templates look funny. I don't want that one. Can you make better looking book ones? And then <laughs> Yeah, and then I get really I get in a whirlwind of of things that don't matter, but as right. a designer I can't I can't not care about. Um, yeah. so it's good for me to stay away from that stuff. Just let someone else, oh, it's good enough because I'm not going to spend all the hours trying to fix it or do it. So what they gave us right. is great. <laughs> right. I think that's like a really refreshing thing to hear for me because I have struggled with growing my team. I have PTSD from a previous career and I, I don't know. I don't want to do it all, but I also don't 
want to just expand because I feel like I have to. But do you, how do you keep it manageable? Are you actively keeping a concise amount of work or a limit to the amount of work you have from projects? Because I know you also do a lot of other stuff. You have collections and books. Yeah. uh, I don't know if there's a straight answer, but I, I, I do know my strengths and weaknesses. And one of my strengths is the ability to prioritize. Um, I, I, I can, I'm always on time and I can hit a deadline when there is one. And then it's sort of up to me to put the, on, on how to make that happen. But I don't, it, I don't let that stuff stress me out. And I don't like feeling behind or cramming. I don't know. I'm good at working smart. Um, I'm getting better at turning jobs away. Part of what's been helpful for me is I joined the expert platform not too long ago, which allows me to do online design, you know, one hour online design consultations. And it's been a way for me to not turn work away because these are the same sort of type of clients that would have been emailing me going, oh, I just have a dining room or I just have this and that. And I would have, I would have taken that on because I'm just, you know, always expecting the bottom to drop out of, you know, the design career or the industry. Yeah. So I just, I'm always, I'm as good as my next job. I get excited about no new work. And so for a while there, I was just saying, yes, yes, yes. Taking everything on, even if in my head I was going, this job's too small for you or whatever. And so being able to filter people through the expert where I can just design for them at an hour, for an hour at a time, it's very structured has been a way for me to manage that. But before I was kind of, I fell underwater a bit and just, you know, it's saying turning clients down, I think is one of the hardest things for designers to do, no matter how sort of big you get, it still seems like that's across the board. When I talk to people, that's hard as much as we can recognize a red flag. I think there's also something inherently competitive that interior designers all have. And for me, mm-hmm. I like, getting the job. I like, I like, I like being the one to decide if I'm going to do this or not. So like the one I do get a potential client, right. I want to be the one to turn the job away basically. Mm. And sometimes what I, what is easy for me to turn down is when a potential client says I'm interviewing three designers for this project. And for me, that's okay. I'm out. I used to hustle for that, but now it's, if you're not coming to me because you want my me to do my thing, then then I'm out. So that's that's the only one where it's easy for me to say no to. Do you feel like do you do you noticed when that switch happened? Was it like a project, or you're just slowly? I don't need to fight for this anymore. It I can't pinpoint exactly, but I do remember kind of specifically where like people would clients would come to me and they would be you know we we chat and decide to work together and they would show me inspiration, you know, or magazine tear sheets of mm-hmm. Pinterest. And it would be kind of across the board, like here's some here's rooms I like. And then kind of all of a sudden they were showing me pictures from my, my own portfolio, like which had never happened before. Mm-hmm. It was always some, you know, uh, like probably higher end, more aspirational stuff than, you know, sort of adjacent to my style, but maybe sure. turned up a notch. And I think once I had a little bit more of my own portfolio at that switched. And now it's, I still, you know, it still comes up and you get a variety of inspiration, but now more so it's, they're like, Oh, the project you did in Bend, you know, I was really, that's why we're calling you or the project, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, there was sort of a, 
that was kind of a switch. Yeah, that's come up a couple of times. I think on Joy Williams' episode, she talked about really getting to a place where you're interviewing the client more so and accepting totally. them as a client, which is so flipped for me right now personally, but that just seems definitely the place to be because it's just, it's not really like a power thing, but it kind of is like, who's, I don't know, who's driving the car. Like we talk about that a lot. Like you don't yeah, you want, don't want to feel like you're just facil- facilitating someone else's a client's ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Right. You don't want to just be their project manager. You want to be their designer. You want to be hired for your style and taste level. Yeah, exactly. Not your, I don't want to be hired for my project management skills. And, <laughs> Same. Um, I want to be. I want to be hired for my my ideas. Yeah, I don't want to be yes. the one to yay or nay a bunch of stuff that they're looking at. If, oh, that was a cool desk you found, but what about these four other ones that I found? I'm like, oh, can we just let me bring this together? <laughs> Unless it's on a consulting basis, it sounds like. like I expert, do something yeah. similar to the expert where like you can have my time for an hour and I'll be your girlfriend that'll yes or no you on your shopping. But how do you handle those appointments? I'm fine with it. If that's what the expert's for. It's literally that. It's sort of people that are design savvy that have done some of the work and they want somebody to sign off on it or or turn it up a notch. But that's not sustainable for me as like a full... That's not how I can... That's not what I want to do uh, for my full-time day job. That's my. That's the sort of side hustle texting with a friend at night that's asking you for design advice. That's not That's not a job. Yeah, it's not creatively fulfilling, but it. it I do a lot of kind of one-off consultations And I say that similarly, I think to what you were saying is because I have a lot of, there's a lot of people that need design help, but aren't going to hire a full service designer. So it is just like a way to give more accessible design to people, but still feel like it's a win-win situation where, yeah, I'm not getting dragged through something unfulfilling, but I do think it's important and helpful. I think it's fun too, but not everyone does. Do you see doing, so do when you have expert appointments, do you have multiple appointments with people? Do they? Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's, it's really cool when sometimes it's not necessary. It's somebody's, a lot of times it's a problem room. And so it's like somebody can't get over a furniture plan or just a scheme for one room. But sometimes, but I hand, I've done a bunch of them where we're just sort of working our way through a house. It's a lot of second homes or, or cabins and, and kind of, um, Lodge, lodge vibes, but I've had a number of them where we're on our, thir- you know, third, fourth, fifth call. It's there's some of them you just can't get through everything, yeah, in fifty five minutes, no way, minutes, whatever. So yeah, we, and those are it's really it feels really great when you get booked again. So it, it's it's cool. It's really it feels good. They like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I was able. To, it's like a. Yeah. It's almost like a game show because you're just like boom on the spot, yeah. and sometimes. People submit, you know, pictures and stuff before and you can look and, and, and kind of take it in. Sometimes they don't. And you're just like, boom, we're in the room. The lights are go. up. And so, the, yeah, the lights are up. And which is kind of like, I feel like it's kind of good for, it's like, a, it, it's like good exercise, design exercise. Because it's our job to make decisions. So It's like running um, drills. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're just like quick fire challenge. Make your brain yeah. work differently. Yeah. It sure. does feel like kind of like you're on a game show, which is fun, fun too. And your gut instincts sort of take over after a while every time. And you're like, okay, let's move. We only have an hour. Let's make 
I want you to feel like I made some decisions and got some stuff done for you. You know, so they feel yeah, like they get the worth totally. out of that money they're investing in it. Yeah, it's also it's it's a really good exercise in interpreting a client's reaction mm-hmm. because you know what that's like when some people are just so poker faced, and sometimes they light up and and it, it it's it's interesting to have these calls and kind of like see all that happening in real time with people you've never met before and have no sort of relationship with. And then you can kind of tell, I got it, or I didn't, we need to, I need to keep going until I see them light up. Like mm-hmm. uh, regroup my plan around this to help. I obviously didn't hit the bullseye that time. Let's try it one more. Right. Right. Cause you know, you can tell mm-hmm. usually, usually. Yeah. I've had those presentations even where you leave and you're like, Ooh, they left feeling lower than the excitement they came in at. So I missed a couple things here. Even though they're being polite, you're like, I need to hit better on those revisions. Like I've got to, I've got to fix a couple things. What does your ideal project look like? I know you do, you do residential and commercial, right? I do. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I have an ideal. I like variety. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's certain types of projects that I could kind of do with my eyes closed now. And so if there's, if it's out of the box a little bit or the stuff that I've been doing in the commercial sphere has been exciting for me because it's so new and there's just a different language and, you know, process. So that's been fun just because it's new, like residential single family homes for married couples with 2.5 kids are kind of my bread and butter, but also like. I can do that. I know I can do that. Mm. So, so anything that's sort of not that is is fun, which which kind of leaves it to commercial stuff. I would imagine the client involvement feels different too. Not quite as emotionally attached, like that for, to me. For so commercial like, clients, you mean? For commercial, yeah. yeah. Is that true um, or not? Kind of. Although I've done a couple of projects that have been like family owned, uh, you know, and so that's kind of a different. Also, I've done some stuff that's corporate. And that's kind of a world of its own because people get really, there's like a real protectiveness feeling that, that the corporate clients have towards their projects. Okay. And then it's just sort of a question of putting my, how can I put my spin on this? Is it when it's commercial spaces, is it what types of spaces have you been working on? Let's see. I've done a couple of tasting rooms, both wine tasting rooms that are connected to vineyards. And uh, I did a, hard cider tasting room. I did a bank headquarters last year, which was a whole new world. And let's see. Yeah, there's some others. Yeah, I wouldn't but, think but, of a bank. Yeah, kind of all over. I wouldn't think of a bank being particularly adventurous. I Before I was in design, I spent 13 years in banking. And it, it, oh. was, it was a very like bureaucratic, heavy type of environment. But obviously, it depends on the scale of you know how big it is. But it was definitely not not in an adventure seeking type of place, but they spent a lot of money on on design for some of these spaces that they were in. Well, I think a lot of it now with these corporate or commercial or office spaces, like the return to sort of remote going from remote work to trying to get employees back to the office, like the design of the space that they're going to plays a big part in that. So I wanted to make it look like a place that people wanted to wanted to go back to work at you know yeah i didn't want to go back to my cubicle ever right and the great you don't even see a lot of cubicles anymore i mean that's sort of out the door I know. It's, it's more communal with like break off spaces so it's like little zones that sort of trend yeah 
No, I think that'd be really exciting because I mean, at least then hopefully too, there's a little bit of that idea that in commercial environments, they understand that it's not, it's not like a forever home the way that residential clients are thinking of, oh, we're probably not going to touch this again for more than 20, 30 years for a lot of people. But in commercial, they kind of know that there's an, a lifespan on these projects and that they are going to have to reinvest or if a lease changes, they're going to move. So they're not, uh, you know, there maybe there isn't as much investment in that idea of, oh, this has to be forever. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure for, at least I feel that a lot of pressure for residential projects. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Sean, I don't know about you, but Pinterest has been on my to-do list of I got to figure out how to use it again for literally years. <laughs> it's definitely one of those things that if you've just been using it as a brain dump location, you're not using it right. Yeah, Pinterest is not just for inspo anymore, although that's still there. It can be super strategic and actually get you new clients. Yes. So we're sort of reframing the thought process around Pinterest with our very first Hottie Homeroom course, Pinterest for Interior Designers Masterclass. It's two-parter, so you get both sessions for the same price. And if you can catch the live session, we recommend it. Otherwise, it's going to be recorded and available to watch on your own. But you also get two workbooks that really are going to show you the step-by-step of everything we talk about. Yes. And we've partnered with our Pinterest expert, Leah Reiner, and she's really power-packed the courses so that way you can optimize everything that you're doing to make Pinterest work for you to drive new traffic and help generate more leads for your business. You're not just listening to us talk about blah, blah, blah. Here's why Pinterest is great. Yes, we have an actual expert who does this day (laughs) in and day out. And she's going to be showing us all the details and how-tos. Yep, you got it. How to find trends, how to put them in captions to get people to read them. And probably the best part for me was realizing that Pinterest pins stay active for months, sometimes years longer than what the Instagram algorithm does. And you don't have to show up and show your face like you do on Instagram. (laughs) I know some of you don't want to do that. So it's a way to get yourself out there without getting yourself out there. Exactly. So head to shop.hottingdesignersclub.com and learn more about our Pinterest for Interior Designers Masterclass. See you there, hotties. What would you say, if, if you're open to talking to us, about billables or lessons that you've learned on hourly rates over the years? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I experimented a lot, you know, and what I learned was I'm not good at tracking my hours. And I earn more money when I charge a flat fee. Like now it's just sort of a question of nailing that flat fee because I'm trying to, you know, you've got to, you have to anticipate billing hourly is great because you can, you can charge for every minute of time. And if a client is giving you trouble, you can be charging for that. And if you charge a flat fee and you get sent back to the drawing board a hundred times, it's uh. different. So part of it is trying to anticipate, you know, what the clients are going to be like. But what I started out charging an hourly fee way early on. That seemed to be the easiest way to jump right into projects. Then I, I played around with sort of monthly fees, I guess you would say, where mm-hmm. it was just a batch of hours just totaled up as a monthly. And I would tell a client, you know, these this was six, seven years ago. Let's, let's do, 
you know, a monthly fee for three months and see, see how, see where we get. That was sort of a gateway to a flat fee. There was something always really scary for me about putting one number down on a new, on a Mm -hmm. proposal and sliding it across the table rather than, yes, let's just get in. But with, as the years went by, I was like, I'm way undercharging. I don't like tracking my hours. Sometimes it's, I'll take 30 hours to do one thing and one hour to do something else. And it doesn't look good on an invoice when you, when you do that. Yeah. I never really got push, push, push back, but it was just like, I didn't like doing it. I don't like thinking about, it's also, it's like these ideas hit when they hit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, getting into a flat fee, which I still break up monthly, you know, it's, it's usually it's a flat fee for six months or nine months or 12 months. And it's okay. with monthly payments rather than a upfront and, you know, rather than a depo- like 50% deposit and then a mm-hmm. balance due. I really don't like that either. That's, I feel like I spend the money <laughs> sooner if, yeah. if I'm given a lump sum. Uh, so long story short, I charge a flat fee that I, that I break up into monthly payments, which it, it's helpful for me to kind of, pro- that way I can kind of project what the next six or 12 months will look like from a design fee perspective, because I know what I've got coming in. And now that I've got bookkeepers, they've been able to say, this is your overhead. This is your minimum that you need to clear every month to just you break know, even. pay yourself, pay your employee, pay, you know, support your, your French fry lifestyle <laughs> and, you know, pay, pay for my office and, and, and that sort of stuff. So that's been, that's been helpful because then I can go, okay, I need to have three jobs at this much per month mm. to to hit that number rather than thinking about I need this many jobs for this year. So yeah. it just break compartmentalizing it into months is uh, easier for me. Yeah, it seems more digestible like that. that way. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so it's it's psychological and that's sort of how I don't know, I would like to be billed too. Also, I feel like that kind of protects everybody if the project goes wrong or and we're three months in, it's a little bit easier to to rearrange that way rather than if you've gotten a like a fifty percent deposit and that yeah. comes up. You know, sometimes it's like this, you know, the scope has changed and we need to adjust, or there's a project delay, we can put these payments on hold, or this isn't working and we need to you you can't fire me, I quit. It's easier <laughs> to do that when yeah. we're a cup when we're in for a couple of months payments yeah. rather than Leaving is that much harder when when you're like, oh, we're on the hook for a lot, though. We either have to deliver a lot more suddenly or give that back to them. If that and that hurts, just like you said, you you're already planned to how do you're going to use that cash or use it somewhere else, so it's already gone. Right. Do you have your project process set up to kind of align with those monthly payments, or do you not think of it that way? No, I really don't think of it that way. I I. Can't. <laughs> yeah. No, it would be um, hard. That would be the challenge. Yeah, it's. I don't have. It, it's not okay. After month one, we'll have done this. After yeah. month two, I imagine there's some clients that would really appreciate that. But like, part, you know, no, it doesn't work like that for me. I try and manage that expectation ahead of time, and you can kind of tell. There's some clients that are like super involved, and we're texting every other day. And there's some clients where it's okay. We've got a meeting in six weeks, and we won't be speaking until then. Yeah. And so you kind of have to gear your process differently. Like a lot of times, my projects design themselves 
kind of in real time as we go, like a piece at a time or a thing at a time. And so it's, it's a little bit less like hitting or hitting milestones or doing like a big presentation. It's a little more like bits and pieces design as we go. My clients tend to be pretty involved and it's a little more collaborative, collaborative. How, how do you share that process with them? Just like from a app standpoint, I'm curious. Well, I do. What do you mean? Well, are, how do they? Is there, how an app you, for, is there an app for this? Yeah. Well, are you using Google Slides like that? You're like yes. showing the yeah, evolution yeah. of so they can see in real time what you're doing, and you say, "Here's this piece that I found. How it fits in with this piece." I, I like to shop first with people. So, so if it's a new build, I'll pick a category like tile or a renovation or whatever, and we'll go do some tile shopping or some plumbing shopping just to kind of get the get it started. It's also a way for me when we do something like that, it's a way for me to kind of gauge, can a client make a decision on, on something without having seen other things, Mm -hmm. you know, can they interpret? Yeah, this is great tile. I don't know what the rest of the bathroom is going to look like, or we even where this is going to go yet, but I love it. Let's consider it. That's good. And when it's, yeah, it's kind of cool, but I don't see how it's going to fit in with the whole picture until I see everything. That's Mm -hmm. not good because I don't shop like that you know, for myself, I don't need to see, I don't need or want to see a full room plan before I make a decision. So this is a, something again, that I try and bring up because this has come up frequently for me where it's like, some clients aren't geared for that. They need to see a design presentation Mm -hmm. with everything picked out to make a decision. So I, so we go shopping to at least see how that goes, or if it's furnishings, we'll go sit on some stuff. I'll see you know, sometimes nothing that we see sticks and sometimes there's a jumping off point. But I I do, I organize things in Google Slides. We use Studio Manager to track, you know, items and stuff like that. But I do little, you know, they're not mood boards, but they're the pieces that we're selecting, you know, in in Google Slides. And then eventually there's sort of mini presentations, I guess, where here's 50% of a room and here's mm-hmm. 50% of another room and let's get some feedback. I like to get as much feedback in real time as possible. So I'm not like going down a completely wrong path and presenting in a, a whole room or a whole house where I'm like, okay, totally missed the mark. Yeah. yeah. I feel like clients like to be, they've, it feels a little bit to me more like their house than when they've been involved in all the decisions along the way, rather than like a designer came in and and just did yeah did like here's the that's whole maybe package, a, Port, a like, portland thing right mm-hmm. i think yeah it, it might be a portland thing where there's a little bit less of a oh my designer my designer my designer there's a little bit less of that people also, here like to feel like they did it you know well they're also pretty creative there's a lot of creatives in portland and i feel like tell it's me a about it. design forward mm-hmm. city so everyone would want everyone's like, a designer yeah, yeah yeah everyone's mm-hmm. everyone's got something to say about every material or finish or they have all these ideas they come in with probably so it's, they don't know how to execute it or find it yeah, that's really right. interesting i'm really it's really a timely kind of conversation we're having because i just had an experience where this went awry for me but I think as an industry, we're told as designers, we have to have this big epic presentation. And I never really thought of, I don't design my house that way. I design one thing at a time and I'm building it. I'm building a plan, but it is like one decision at a time and letting like it gel and marinate and seeing what kind of comes at me next. So I never really (laughs) actually thought of it as, 
a way to structure for clients. It's interesting. Yeah, it's not it's not for everyone. Some I do get pushback, and it doesn't. And then we we break up. It's happened. And sometimes people don't know that they can't, you know, or, or that isn't for them. Also, I don't like doing big and big installs. That's not something that's worked for me. Where you know, typically you would think like you do a big presentation and then you order everything and do a big install. Mm-hmm. Like that, the trend that I see for at least my own work is okay. We made a bunch of decisions. Let's order this stuff and get it over to you. You know, if it's if it's furniture, mm-hmm. why not? And then we can be kind of building off of that. So let's order some sofas and beds, and that's how sort of I don't know. Unless it's a new build and and that timing really works, so just those big five day installs where the moving truck comes. That's just not how I how I work. It's really hard to track all of those pieces. And then it's also like for me, when I try to, when I've tried to do that for clients, there's, we're still missing enough stuff that the, if the main goal, for example, was like, I just want to know all in what I'm going to spend on this whole entire room. And you're like, well, that's really hard to say exactly because all the pe- there are still enough pieces in the air between finished carpentry or other details that. I, I never really have a full and complete picture. And a lot of clients start to get really uncomfortable with, I can't live with the ambiguity of not knowing where my number will be. And I feel like most of the good stuff comes out of clients who know that there's going to be like some give and take plus or minus on a budget number or a range that they gave. And what you're doing is sort of that way of, do you like these pieces? Do you want them? Do you feel they're worth the money that we're going to put into them? Great. Let's start getting orders started then. And then we'll figure out the rest of the stuff along the way, right? And build off those pieces. So you're kind of building layer by layer and making the foundational decisions and then building off of that. So you're like locking it in one level at a time, right? Totally. Yeah, that's hmm, that's something I needed to hear today. So thank (laughs) you. (laughs) I mean, it's backfired plenty of times, but you know, when it works, it it works, and it feels more natural and organic and less like a, a designer came and swooped in and in a day. Right. And everybody, or at least I shouldn't say everybody, but like for us, a lot of the clients we want to work with, you know, through our design companies is really based on, we want to create something that feels collected and layered and that you didn't just buy a whole room from a catalog page. And it's really hard to accomplish that with that design philosophy of, oh, we're, it's a 100% presentation, then revisions, and then we start placing orders. It's hard to accomplish all of that layered and collected look if everything is truly happening all at the same time. Well, it seems like it leaves room for vintage too. Is that a big part of it? Yeah, definitely. Because that's you need to buy that stuff when it comes up. You can't put that in a presentation. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't plan for it for eight weeks and hope that right. that piece is still going to be there. <laughs> Okay. That's what I've always kind of been stuck on is because I, (laughs) obviously, if you see my background, love vintage in my own home, but being able to present it to clients and have it, unless you're inventory and stuff, it's always been like a, how do I do that situation? So, hmm. Okay. I'm going to think about that. So kind of on that, what is the like most challenging part of your business or the different aspects of your business? Oh, uh, gosh. I, I, I don't know. There's there's still this like weird arranged marriage sort of feeling about clients where you meet once or talk once and then just based on one meeting or Zoom call, you have to send a 
design proposal with a big money number attached uh-huh. to it and then be committing to life together a year or two years or three years of your of your time and and it seems like you're just like as much as i think i can spot a red flag or not a red flag what's the other one what do they say now beige flag beige flag, beige flag. Um, yeah. um as much as i think i can spot those it's still you never know until you're you're in so yeah. that's tricky because then you know then i don't know it takes a little while you want to you want to date for a little while before you get married probably well, because um, you have to go through something challenging together, like in any relationship, like you don't really know the person until you see them at their worst right. or going through something hard, which a renovation and remodel or spending a shitload of money, like that's the extreme. And until you're like acro- dealing with that, you don't know how people are going to mm-hmm. be. Yeah. So do you have just an, you don't have to share everything, but like an internal process of vetting. Are you like, I know Sean has a little notes, a little list of notes in his phone of like new, like his red flags list of just things to remember <laughs> or try to vet. I don't know. I need to go. Um, no, no, I don't. I mean, I kind of go, I got to go, you got to go with your gut. It, it usually come, like I can usually tell after the first, presentation is the wrong word, but the first time I, sh- I share some things that can tell me so much. And so even sometimes I've tried to delay sending a proposal until we've worked together for a little bit. So sometimes I'll suggest let's work together. Here's let's work hourly for a month hmm. and, or, you know, can I have 20 hours for this first month and let's, let me show you some stuff and see if we click. Cause then I, I can tell first meeting I can tell. But our first presentation, you know, first time I, I share stuff, I can tell the, how the rest of the project is going to go. But that that's not always possible. So yeah, yeah, because some yeah. people want that. I would imagine that I, a lot of clients are like, oh well, no, I if I'm going to spend money, I want to know that this is going to work out. And then that's probably telling you right now, oh well, this won't be good down the road. Like we need to right. we need to get we need to get like a a chance to develop a fit with one another and not feel trapped. On probably on both sides of the equation, right? For you and for them. Right. Yeah. 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 It's hard. You never know until, until you know. Well, thank, I mean, thank you for sharing that because I, there is sort of the Instagram world of it all that wants to make us believe that everything is like perfection and everybody's got this solid process and everyone hits a home run with every designer and every client. It's just like a match made in heaven. And internally, we all know that can't be true. So it's good to just hear it out loud a little bit more. So I'm sure our listeners will also appreciate that you shared that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine line. Also, you know, it's a service industry that is run by creative people. So it's, I don't know if we're all geared for that. A lot of us are great being creative, but we're not all great service providers. So that sort of takes some that takes a lot of practice Um, and you have to kind of know when to push back and know when to, you know, fight for things and then know when to compromise. And that takes, it just takes experience. Right. Um, It's weird for me now to hear, you know, sometimes like I'll speak to design student schools, you know, design schools, the students. And in a lot of, it seems like Young designers now, or, or even not new designers, I should say, are going from zero to their the boss. They're starting a design firm without having worked at, you know, worked for anyone before. Anywhere. They're just like, yeah, yes, um, they're they're going from 
like food service. From school to being a designer, which seems insane to me because you just learn so much. You can learn so much, you know, uh, you, you need to learn so much on the job that you can't learn at a school or online or, you know, you can teach yourself SketchUp. But until you've sat in a room with a married couple arguing about hardware money <laughs> in hardware like until you've done that for real i don't know how 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 you could hang put your name on the door yeah because i think something you're touching on a lot is the psychological aspect of what we do and the emotional part and i don't think we hear a lot about that about that in our industry and it seems like you've structured your business and your process to work best with managing your creativity and the emotions of clients and yourself, which I think is I try really to. Important. I also try to put put out there online how I am in real life, you know, and which is like just which is very creative and chill yeah. and just professional professional enough. <laughs> but I don't want to, you know, put out there like you can kind of tell when designers are not writing their own Instagram captions and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, Are there so like, I want to put my own, my, enough of my own personality out there because that's how clients find me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't want them to be like, whoa, we've seen, we've been following you online and you're nothing like that in real life. Yeah, like I think that weeds shifted. people out a little bit. Right. Yeah. I, still, I don't want to catfish any I, I still think of when <laughs> no. you, I still think very vividly of when you had your project with the, with pink in it and the, like the ducks and, in the it was like the workout space and then oh the duck team people were asking you about what's that color and you said it's fuck you pay me pink <laughs> and yeah <laughs> and, and i don't know for me i love seeing that because one i'm glad that you like stand in that space of i am a designer i get paid to do this i'll do this for you but you are going to have to give something for it but also the idea that the instagram is not a place where we just give everything away for free and th- and it helps to combat that idea of just because I'm putting myself out there publicly doesn't mean you get all of me or all of what I do I'm just giving you a part of it so it is sort of like the the reminder that there's a transaction involved is kind of interesting yeah that didn't win me too many followers <laughs> maybe new friends that maybe backfired a little bit but uh, I feel a little bit differently about that now if it if it's more like I uh, now I sort of I want. I just give all that info away if, if it's asked in the right way. But yeah, it's true. It's not. I mean, that's Instagram is literally just people asking you what paint colors are. That's until we all die. A way yeah. to yeah. If there's a way to monetize that, that would be great. Yeah. Also, you know, I want to. That's my personality too. And if a, if that turns a potential client off, then we're not going to get along anyway. So it's you know that's a, it's another way to kind of weed people out. Yeah, if they're offended by something that's kind of a joke, but also kind of not. Totally. It's setting yeah. boundaries too. It's that attract and repel of say the stuff <laughs> that you want that will get you the people you want. So like people who will love vintage, I'm going to show them that and tell them what that works like. And then the person who's just here because they want to pick my brain, at least now you know you have probably at that time you didn't have the expert. Now you have the expert, which is, hey, book me on the expert and you can ask me that and I will tell you stuff like that. And I'll... I'm yeah. sure. I'm okay sharing stuff with you if you're already going to book me and we're going to talk like open book. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about like your collections and how you got started with those? Sure. Any in particular or just in general? I think in general like what 
I mean, you're doing pen blur, chasing paper. What else do you have? Yeah, I have wallpaper with chasing paper. My first collection came out two years ago, and I'm about to launch my second collection with them, and later in this fall, the, the, later in the fall, yeah. I have fabric with Sumbrella. The, it's manufactured by Sumbrella and it's available to the trade through Pindler. Mm-hmm. Okay. Window treatments with Hartman and Forbes, who are a trade woven window treatment brand. And what else? I'm working on candles with the brand in Seattle. I'm working on coffee with the brand here in Portland. That's sort of a passion project and some other stuff in the works. How it came about, it's all based on relationships. None of these were, none of these brands were cold calls. You know, it's brands that I've been the best client of for years mm-hmm. and years. Desi- the number one thing designers ask me is about you know product collaborations, yeah. and it's it's not like I'm going to a brand that I've never even worked with before, purchased from, and asking to collaborate with. These are brands that I've my collection with Sumbrella kicked off ten years ago. Basically, my relationship with them started ten years ago. It, it started because Sumbrella was the sponsor of a show house that I participated in. And I met the marketing people and design, design, some of the design people, corporate, corporate people and stayed in touch. And I would use Sumbrella fabrics and participate in other sort of marketing y things. And then, and then 10, you know, it was a long game. That's the point of this. It wasn't just like this thing that I didn't just slide into their DM um, a year ago and was like, you know, collab question mark chasing paper. I use their wallpapers all the time and I would tag them and share with them and that was actually a dm there you know elizabeth who who owns the company is the other end of the instagram maybe i shouldn't have said that so now she's gonna get bothered by people but but it, it I, and i guess going backwards i've always done a lot of custom stuff and diy stuff and mm. prior to designing a fabric collection with sombrella i've designed custom fabrics just on my own mm. i wanted to learn how it worked yeah. I asked, you know, I developed some ideas. I had somebody translate those into design files. I found a way to get them printed. They didn't go anywhere. I used, you know, they looking back, they weren't great, but I did the process myself. I invested mm-hmm. a little bit of money mm-hmm. to do it. Same with wallpaper. Before Chasing Paper came out, I had an idea for a wallpaper. And I spent months and months and months developing it. Again, hiring a graphic designer to because I can't do that stuff to translate the ideas asking around to find how do you get wallpaper printed and I used it a couple of times and so when it was time for when chasing paper came along I already had that you know process down and for all my collections I design them myself I work with an artist or artists to for artwork or design files or or, or whatever and then I pitch collections so it's not like I walk into a room and there's a bunch of ideas that the brand has laid out for me that I put my name on. Right. I've done the work ahead of time. And I've done plenty that have fallen short or not been picked up that I'll, I'll design and pitch. But I do the work ahead of time. I design it. That's sort of the answer. And with my fabric collection, basically, the ideas, my initial ideas are what ended up uh, as the collection. You know, they got tweaked and scaled differently uh, a, a little bit but but there's the the fact that I did all the work ahead of time I think was what was a was a big help it wasn't just me asking can I have a collection it was I designed this yeah collection and it. here's here's the 
inspiration behind it. Here's the here's artwork files. Here's renderings to show the scale and how I would use it. And here's you know it's like a, a whole pitch. Yeah, because um, they can imagine the whole so, story. Yeah, they can imagine. Oh, you're already working in good faith on this. That you've already put creative energy into it instead of just coming to to umbrella and saying, I want to do a collection with you. What what ideas do you have? It, that puts all the like fit actual work and the emotional weight of the collection back on them. And they're they're hoping for that more collaborative approach where the, if you're going to put your name on it, hopefully you feel really proud of what's out there. And it's not just ideas they're recycling in a new colorway from a past catalog. Yeah. I imagine you can get to a certain level and they they roll out the do the work for you. But well, Ellen's probably um, not designing her own rugs. No, probably, probably not. not. No. <laughs> but I really enjoy this process. It's that's what's really creatively fulfilling for me. So yeah. concepting it and designing it. And it's sort of like even the ones that have fallen fallen flat, it's something I invest in. It's not a necessarily a huge investment, but it's it's manageable, you know, from an out of going out of pocket marketing expense. Yeah. And 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 you know, you sort of see this when when you get one product collaboration sort of more start to come your way. So I think now that now that I have a couple under my belt, now they're now I'm getting more people coming to me rather than me me pitching. But it's also it's you know it's tricky because if you these brands are getting designers pitching, you know, asking for collaborations, you know, I'm sure dozens a week yeah. uh, or or more. And so you've got to check your ego. And if they say no, you've got to be professional about it. And like it's not, not like, okay, fine. I'm not going to shop. Yeah. Yeah. I'll stop buying yeah. from you um, because you rejected me, but it's like, well, then, right. then we are never going to end up with anybody. <laughs> if you, right. if you break up with everyone, you won't have anyone left behind. Right. Also, I, I, I have a recognizable brand style aesthetic and, and I think that's important because I can put my stamp on things and it looks like my collection and it's not like a lot of, you know, Pindler didn't need me to do a line of neutral bouquets. They got that covered. Like <laughs> they, they got that covered and then they'll do that better than I can. But, but it's, it, you know, and so if, Sort of another reason you brought it up at the beginning, but but having sort of a signature style, I think, is another kind of you have to have that if you want to be designing collections for people, or you need to have such a massive social media following yeah. that yeah. that's what's going to sell you. You know, you need to have one of those two things because really you need to help them sell it. So I'm imagining you're giving them like kind of a marketing strategy in your pitch in a way that even if it tweaks, they you're helping sell a full story that they can sell because yeah. you need to help them yeah, make yeah. sales. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're really like, I mean, they're, it's a ton of work. The designing the collection happens years in advance and then that's done. And then it's just about, you know, promoting it. And, and I really want to work hard to do that for all my collaboration partners. I enjoy it. So that's part of it. It's, it's fun and it's cool to see other designers and, and, and people use my stuff and, it's a different it's a different sort of satisfaction than like doing the residential project re, you know reveal like it's a different sure. creative sort of satisfaction yeah and you're getting paid for it there's <laughs> i don't want to ignore yeah. that there is a money part of that that's probably really nice to know oh it was this or it was this many projects instead and so now there was another way to fulfill that creativity and still get compensated for it yeah, I mean, there. You know, it's it's harder to 
kind of anticipate that, you know, with a design project, I know what my fee is going to be with the project collaborations that's based on sales. So, yeah, you know, and so it's a little unpredictable. And so I don't count on that. I don't count on the, the sort of the licensing fees. It's more like fun, fun money that I get to use for other sort of project or, 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 you know, ideas or travel, or if I want to go to high point out of pocket, you know, I can kind of count on some of my licensing fees to be covering that stuff. Yeah, that's your upgrade stuff. <laughs> totally. And it's a yeah. long game, right? Like it can be still trickling in for years and years. Like I've heard other yeah, people yeah, with Yeah, in general, you can the the products stay in the collection, you know, or the the collection st- sticks around for a while. So and it's also, you know, like I, you know, I'm involved in the photo shoots and mm. the la- you know, the label on the swatch and, and stuff and it's like really fun to do that that stuff because it's yeah. just you get to really that's what sort of, you know it's details and it's stuff that we care about and notice you know and it's really it's just like fun to have a hand in every every part of it not just the sort of the, the pattern itself yeah that sounds really fun those are your babies are you gl- it's also it's these are i'm you know like they're sort of ex- extension of my coworkers, that my my brand partners and it's mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't want to work with any brands that are jerks and vice versa. So, <laughs> you know, because we're really like stuck together for, for a while, the design department, the marketing department, sales, sales teams and stuff. And so it's, it's really fun to be getting to know different, different people around the country that, that are involved in these projects. So this will be airing after the fact, but will you be at High Point this week? Nope. I'm skipping high point this week. I'm going to round top for the first time. Oh, fun. Uh, um, I know it's always a pick. I've never been. So, but opportunity came up. I was at high point in the spring. I usually go w- once a year, not twice. Yeah. So maybe, maybe next spring, but, but it's round top this time. Are you renting like a big truck? Is that like the plan? Yeah, are you buying? <laughs> I'm not there. I'm doing a book signing, you know, knowing the sort of the, the, the dynamics of like vintage shopping, I'm going to find so much stuff. Because I don't have a way to get it back <laughs> this time. So Who can I and hit then I'll ride go with? again. Well, I'll go. I'll go again in the spring, and I'll have like a you know full trailer, and I'll find nothing. So no, it's also it's I've never been. So this time it's sort of like going to High Point for the first time. You just got to go to get the lay of the land. Yeah, scout it out, and then you go back this, the next time to really when you're in it to win it. Yeah, yeah. Then you can power through a whole lot, make decisions faster too, and know when something is truly unique or it's worth it or right. This yeah. is just this is scouting. I like that it. Sounds really fun, though. You mentioned you that you're going for your book signing. Can you tell the hotties who are listening a little bit more about that and where they can grab that? Sure. Yeah my my latest book is called Lodge. It's an indoorsy tour of America's national parks, <laughs> and it's a book about the historic national park lodges picture book from an interior designer's perspective. So mm-hmm. it's not about the hiking trails but it's about the historic lodges and how they were built and when and who the architect was and where the furniture is from and what the rug patterns mean it's for indoorsy folks that appreciate the outdoors from yeah. inside you know from the inside and came out in april and i've been on a, a book tour since then basically and yeah it's available wherever books are sold it's a it's a nice holiday gift and was an interesting one my first book is called modern americana which is which was my you know portfolio mm-hmm. and this is lodges i didn't design in these places they're just sort of my stuff i'm into and and, and wrote about that's fantastic i think it's really great too for to like remind people when we're thinking of national parks even that 
there's something about the environments that's created around them in campsites and picnic locations and then the lodges and that there there is part of that experience that is the nostalgia that people think of of eating their peanut butter and jelly sandwich with their parents you know as they're going through parks or whatever they're doing so there it's there is an experience that's been built around that that feels maybe not uniquely american but it's definitely a big part of this the outdoor American culture, which is kind of exciting to see it documented this way. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of the feedback that I got that I've been getting at these, at these events is people say, Oh, I went, you know, I went to the grand Canyon when I was a kid with my parents or that's side one and side two is, you know, I'm going to use this as a motivation to go to these places that I've never been to Mm -hmm. just because the, I wanted to photograph the lodges with, in the same way that I photograph my design projects, which is make them as inviting as possible. And it was hard to find photos of the lodges that were in that style. So that was sort of the, the that was the idea of the book. Yeah, they're, 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 it's usually they're a very kind of hotel oriented type photos where it's just, this is what the bathroom looks like. This is what the room looks like. Or <laughs> yeah. here's where the waiting yeah. room is. And it doesn't feel like lifestyle oriented at all or give you a desi- an idea of the comfort that will be there. And the detail. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because they're really difficult to photograph from <laughs> so dark, right? Technical standpoint and just like organizationally and planning wise, they're, they're, that's sort of, there's a reason why they're, these photos didn't exist. Yeah. Beyond just not. Yeah. So that, that was the point. No, that's really cool. Well, now it's like, now for a lot of people, it's a way that they can reference back to it that's better than just like a picture on a postcard to have better photography to look back on some of their trips. So, and I agree the cover is for hotties who are listening, you haven't seen it, but yeah, the cover is definitely given holiday vibe energy. So I think that's a fantastic mm-hmm. idea on that. Yeah, it's a perfect gift. The cozy throw. Well, thank you, Max. Can you tell our audience where to find you in general on social and whatnot? You can find me on Instagram. It's Mac, at Max W Humphrey or my website's just maxhumphrey.com. Um, and you can find me in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Don't go find him, guys. Don't go to look Wearing, for Max. He'll be look for the Wearing guy in plaid. Work, look for the guy in flannel in Portland. <laughs> flannel and Birkenstocks in Portland. <laughs> Thank well, you so much, Max, for being so open and honest with our listeners. I think they're really going to love hearing more uh, all about your creative process and everything you shared. And that's really a rarity for a lot of us to hear. So thank you. Yes, thank you very welcome. much. Did I run my mouth this time? I no, love it. You did great. <laughs> I give away, I give away all my secrets. That pink paint color is called. I just looked it up the other day. It's called. It was a Benjamin Moore color, and I think it's called Sweet Taffy. For anybody wondering, okay, um, yeah, sweet, sweet taffy, Benjamin Moore, sweet taffy. See, you got the secret, so, and they there, didn't even. There you go. They didn't even have to book yeah, an expert session. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Max. Until next time. Stay hot, designers. Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 